Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. So my name is Josh, and I'm, I have the honor of, of being on the leadership team here, and I, I have the privilege of opening up today, opening up God's words to, Word today with you. Uh, I'm, my prayer is that Holy Spirit will speak to us individually, but also uh, as a group. Um, we're going to be speaking on baptism today, and I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about this message. Um, last service, I was a little bit more nervous. Uh, this, I, I am just that's that's why I'm so nervous is is because I'm just so excited to share with you what God has shared with me, and that's really. If you know me, that's, that's, I enjoy, one of the, my favorite things in life is, is putting God's word together, the whole council, like finding things in the New Testament that are shadows for the old, for the, I mean, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, linking those things in together. Think about that for a moment. As we have God's word, the living and active word of God, sometimes it took hundreds of years for that connection to be made, but God's hand is not too short to be able to accomplish that. And he tells us things in, in cycles and shadows in, in the Old Testament that, that are truths that are relevant for us today. And so that, I really enjoy that, and I really enjoy when I see the light bulb go off in somebody's face and they, they grasp a new truth in a new way. Um, and so as we talk about baptism today, uh, I'm hoping, that this is no new teaching, but I'm hoping to, to shine a new light on and maybe something you have maybe a, something you haven't heard before about what baptism is. And I'm I'm tell you right up front, I believe baptism is spiritual warfare. Baptism is spiritual warfare. And we're gonna get there today. We're in first Peter chapter three, uh, is our text. And these these passages, this one specifically is is called a problematic passage. Uh, and and I think the the point that God wants me to make to us today is that. If it's strange, or if it's, if it's something you don't understand, seek it out. Dig deeper. Find out what the meaning is, because God hides truths in these problem passages, quote-unquote, uh, for us to, that really, when you get a hold of it, it's something that is just, it just blows my mind, and I know it, 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 it excites me, and I know it, it, would, it excites others as well. And so, the um, point is, is, if it's strange, it's important. And this is a strange one. We're going to talk about a strange passage today. Um, again, no new teaching. We're talking about baptism. Uh, coincidentally, we are having baptisms next week. So if, if you have given your life to the Lord recently, uh, I would encourage you to go ahead and go online to awaken.church and, and sign up for baptisms, um, but, because we will be doing that next week. And we're, we're, in, we're in Peter today, and the idea is, is to really dig in deep on these few verses to figure out what is Peter thinking here. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in a minute. But as we talk through this first little section here and kind of really grasp what Peter's trying to say, just bear with me. There's some, there's some things that you might not have heard before, might be a little difficult, and I promise we are going to get to talk about baptism. We're going to get there. But Peter assumes in his passage today that, that the reader knows his Old Testament. It's, it's part of... Uh, Part of this story is, is found elsewhere in Scripture, and I'm going to be, it's, it's really encouraging for me to be able to share that with you as well. And, and um, you know, it's, it, as in my research this week, I found it was really interesting. The early church, one of the things that, as they made the confession of faith, they would make a public confession of faith before being dunked in the water. 
And part of that confession was denouncing Satan and all his works. So the early church saw baptism as spiritual warfare. And so what I'd like to do today is just maybe give us a new insight on that and seeing that. Because I was never taught that growing up in church. Peter, as we read through uh, this, this section of the Bible, I, I believe you'll see that Peter saw the world, he saw humanity as being inserted into a cosmic war that was already be, taking place. And, and, and you want proof, there was, there was a rebel in the garden, right? The, this, this, uh, this serpent creature was there to tempt Adam and Eve, to present them with the, the sin. And so uh, there, we, are, we were inserted into a cosmic war that's already been taking place. And I believe that was Peter's mindset as he, write, as he writes this. And so I believe that Peter understood baptism as spiritual warfare. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. It'll be on the, uh, the screens here if you need it. You can also open up your YouVersion Bible app and read along there. I like to hear the pages turn. I like to have the Bible in front of me. Um, I do have it on my phone, but I like to have the, the Bible I can highlight in, mark in. Starting in verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the, to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him. And so as we... We're going to walk through this verse by verse as we do. I'm going to give you some guardrails. I'm going to give you a handrail or two uh, in, in the means of points. And so the first point I want to make today is baptism is a reflection of the power of the crucifixion. Baptism is a reflection of the power of the crucifixion. And just right there in that first verse, verse 18, really Peter is summing up the gospel here, right? But he's shining a new light on it. Right here he says, that he might bring us to God. Now where does God sit? Where does Jesus sit? He sits at the right hand of the Father. They sit enthroned and they have, they have their, their heavenly court. We get an idea of this throughout the Bible that God sits in this courtroom setting, right? Jesus is judge, right? And so we have this courtroom setting here that we are being brought into, that he might bring us to God. So I see the gospel here, but that right there stood out to me. And it reminded me of a, a common uh, metaphor that I use, I often use, and I know some of you have heard of it before, is, is talking to somebody and trying to introduce them to Jesus and talking the courtroom scene picture, right? The, the idea that we, we are before the judge and all our sins are being listed out. All the horrible things we did, all the things that we thought we were doing good, but those are sins too. And, but Jesus stands up and says, I paid all. Y'all, y'all ever heard that analogy before? Everybody heard that? I got bad news. There's a fatal flaw in that analogy. We can't even enter into the courtroom on our own. We can't. 
Jesus has to usher us in. Before a holy God, we cannot stand before him in our sin. But Jesus, this is what he's saying, this is what Peter's saying here. He, he might bring us to God. And so through Jesus, we can now enter that courtroom. Isn't that good? That's a, you can still use that analogy. I'm not, I'm not discouraging you from using that. But be sure to keep that in mind. That we, because that, what does that do? That places God where he belongs, holy, high above everything else. And so we can enter the courtroom now through the blood of Jesus, this, this heavenly courtroom. It, 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 this, this is Peter describing the gospel here. And I believe that he saw this, this, uh, this whole scene that's about to take place as a cosmic battle. And, and, and Jesus is, of course, conquering those, those cosmic entities. And so let's continue on in verse 19. He says, in which he, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Okay, now we're starting to get hard, right? Proclaim to the spirits in prison. What prison? What are we talking about here? Let's start with the proclaim word. Let's just, word by word, let's break it down. Let's start by proclaimed. Some versions will say preached. And I think proclaimed is a better word here. I think the, the ESV has it right. Because when you preach the gospel, you're expecting a response, either positive or negative, right? The whole purpose of me being up here, as I prayerfully look through this text this week, I put some thoughts together, I ask Holy Spirit to, to work with me so that he might bring his people a word. My goal, the whole purpose, is so that you might be changed, if you're already a Christian, then you're, you're equipped and you're encouraged to go out and do the work of the ministry. That's the purpose. So there's a response required when you're preaching. You get that? But a proclamation is not that way. A proclamation is saying, hey, this is the way it is. It's an announcement. It's a public service announcement, although it's a spiritual one. Because he says it, he's, he, he, he proclaims it to the spirits. This was an announcement, but one in a supernatural sense. And it must have been agony for the recipients. And we're going to talk about who those recipients are. But first, I want to share, remember I talked about uh, the, the, the way I love the Bible connects. And, and you get these, these connections where you didn't think they were. And so I want to share with you what God gave me this week. Is I believe this, this right here, this picture, is bookended in our Bibles. So if you want to, you want to go ahead and turn in Psalms 24, uh, Psalms 24, verse 7. Starting at verse 7. I want to read this, and then I'll give you the other book in. And I, I just, it just, uh, it excites me. I hope it excites you and encourages you as well. Well, obviously somebody needed more time because I turned to Job. Here we are in Psalms. <laughs> in verse 7, it says, Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Who is it, church? Jesus. Jesus that's right. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So I did some research on this a few months ago. This passage specifically, and that, that lift up your gates part, oh, ancient doors piece, if you will, was stolen by, from a pagan holy book, if you can believe that. Don't, don't kick me off the stage just yet. 
this was a common polemic. This was a common argument that the, the psalmists or the authors of the Old Testament would use. They would use stuff from, from maybe Baal or these other gods, and they would take it, and they would, they would, proclaim, Jesus, they would proclaim Yahweh as king with it. So they would, they would put Yahweh above the other gods. And so that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's using something from an ancient Egyptian text, and he's, he's proclaiming that Yahweh is God. And all the other stuff is, is garbage. And so there's our first book in there. Because Jesus is knocking at the door here. He's knocking at the door to the gates to make the proclamation, I believe. It's pretty cool, pretty cool. Revelation chapter 1 is our, our other book in. We'll, we'll blaze through this quickly and get back to the passage. Revelation chapter 1. Jesus is speaking here. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. This is in verse 17, sorry. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So he entered the door, he made the proclamation, and he left with the keys, meaning the authority of death and Hades. See, Jesus conquered the two things that we could do nothing with. Guaranteed, everybody in here, unless Jesus comes back before then, will die. You will shed this tent. And if you believe in Jesus, you will be with him in eternity. Guaranteed. We could do nothing about it, but Jesus took care of that for us. Because as we put our faith in him, we shed this tent, but we, we will receive a, a resurrected body, a glorified body, and we will reign with him in power. So death and then sin. We could do nothing with our sin. We talked about that courtroom scene entering into it. It's because of our sin that we can't enter into it without the blood of Jesus covering us. I, I just wanted to share that, those bookends with you. But the point is, is the crucifixion means victory over spiritual forces at work against King Jesus. The crucifixion means victory over the spiritual forces. Brings me to my second point for today. Baptism is a reflection of the power over spiritual forces. I keep using this word reflection. I keep using that because it, there's nothing... Baptism is, is a tough one because there are people that, there are those that believe that there's actually some saving power in the water or you must be baptized to be saved. And although I think it's, it's, it's good for a Christian to get baptized, it is, it is something that we must do as a Christian. We, we should want to do that. We should want to proclaim our loyalty to King Jesus. Baptism is merely a reflection of what's already taken place inside of the heart the decision that is inside of our heart, this, this power over spiritual forces. Now, when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? We, God places his Holy Spirit inside of us, and so therefore we walk around with the Spirit of the living God in us, and we can walk in that authority. Now, it's nothing of me. It's not my authority that I'm walking in. If I'm, if I'm good enough or righteous enough, I can't become Jesus but Jesus, as long as I die to myself and allow Jesus to live through me, then we can have power over the spiritual forces. So we walk with this power. But we still have the question here in verse 19 of who are these spirits? Who, who is Peter talking about? Who is he referencing these spirits? And, and so that's what we're going to focus on right now is, is really answering that question. Who are these spirits? Let's, let's continue on in verse 20. We have to read the rest of the context of the passage so we can really understand what Peter's thought is. In verse 20 it says, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah 
while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now it all makes sense, right? <laughs> now, we still have the question of who are the they there? Now, there's a couple of theories. I'm going to tell you that the, the two chief theories out there of who these are, that, and then I'm going to tell you what I believe. And, and I, I believe we're going we're gonna to hash this out in the Word of God, using God's Word to figure out who the spirits are that Peter's talking about. First one is that, that it was possibly Old Testament saints that P- Jesus went and preached to, and they responded to the gospel, and then for, he led them out of captivity, and they were saved. Well, that doesn't make sense uh, to the context of the passage, and it also doesn't make sense, it, it raises some, some theological questions. If I could just be preached to after, you know, after I die, then then what's the point of, of living for Jesus in this life? And so the Old Testament saints weren't saved because they were preached to. They were saved because they died with a promise on believing in, having faith in the promised Messiah, having, having faith in Genesis 3.15. That's why they were saved. We get a picture of this in Luke. You know, the, 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 two, the Sheol, this, this place, this underworld place is divided, and there's the good side and the bad side. On the bad side, they're very, they're very thirsty, on the good side, they're in the bosom of Abraham. Y'all remember that story? Right? And it's those that were led out of captivity, not because they were preached to, but because they already had a faith. Faith was counted to righteousness to Abraham before he was even circumcised. It was because he stepped off and he did what God said. He had faith in Yahweh. And so here we are in this passage. We still have the question of who are these people? Now, I don't believe it's Old Testament saints. And I also don't believe it's a metaphor Simply a metaphor for Noah preaching while he was building the ark. You know, we could just imagine hammer in one hand, uh, Torah in the other, and he's, he's out there preaching to everybody. Now, I, he was, but that's, uh, it doesn't line up with the context of this passage. So I don't believe that's what Peter was referencing here either. I believe that these spirits were connected because Peter lists or mentions the flood. I believe they were somehow connected to this, this flood thing that happened in, in Genesis 6 through 8. They can't be humans because the, they would have to, you would have to disregard this whole text, the context altogether. And so let's go ahead, and Peter actually gives us a, another uh, insight to what he was thinking here, and he clears it up a little bit. Just turn like one page over, it's one page over in my Bible anyway, into 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Wow. Does it sound, does this passage, you see the similarities here? Talking about a lot of the same things, right? Instead of spirits, Peter calls it right here. He calls them angels. So I believe that the, the spirits that were being preached to or proclaimed to uh, here is not people, and this is not a metaphor for Moses, but these spirits were angels. They were apostate sons of God found in the Genesis 6 verse 4 account. Genesis 6 4 tells us that the, the, the sons of God took women as their wives, and it was a giant problem. Literally, a giant problem. All right? Still not tracking with me, still not believing it's, it's, it's the Genesis 6-4 that Peter wants us to key in on here. Let's turn to Jude. And Jude 
is just one page in my Bible, right before Revelation. And I don't have to tell you a chapter to look for because there's only one chapter. But in verse 6 it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. He almost verbatim copies what Peter says. So they, were had, they had similar thought process. And so I believe it's very clear to me that Peter wants us to recognize there are, that what he's about to talk about is supernatural in context. The whole point of this is to say that baptism is supernatural. Baptism is spiritual warfare. Think about these, these spirits, though, as they wait in this gloomy darkness, in this prison, if you will. Before Jesus, they might have had a shimmer of hope. They might have thought, well, mankind, in my experience, is pretty fickle. They, they're very forgetful. They're easily prone to sin. It's easy for us to, to, to tempt them into sin, to tempt them into pride. Even when they do righteous things, they boast about it and don't give God glory. That's a sin. And so I think the, the enemies of God were in prison, but I think they, they thought parole was coming soon. I think they thought that. And so Jesus knocks on the door, and he proclaims to them the gospel. The fact that they haven't done anything to mess up the plan of Yahweh. The plan is in lockstep. There is nothing you can do to derail God's plan of salvation for mankind. And the proof is that Jesus comes with the, with the keys of death and Hades in his hand. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And so, instead of parole, they heard that they were to wait a little longer until they were finally to be released and then defeated again. Because that's, that's the way Revelation reads. That's the way I read it. And so, they are a defeated foe, and we can walk in that knowledge. That's why it's so important to be in this word so you can walk around, Christian, with the power and the understanding that there is nothing that should, sep- that, that should separate us from the love of God. Only we can pull away. God never pulls away from us. God never pulls away from us. So what is all this that I've said so far? It's great. Cool, Josh. You've, you've taught me some, some ways to link in my Bible and taught me some things, but what's this got to do with baptism? Well, let's go to verse 21. And then we're going to stop again because I've got to explain something else. <laughs> baptism, which corresponds to this. Okay, what, is, what does Peter mean by corresponds to this? Types. Peter is saying that baptism is a type that was foreshadowed because he mentions the, Noah, Noah, the flood in uh, Noah times. It was foreshadowed by that. And so Peter's making a connection here. That's what a type is. It's a connection. It doesn't have to be complete. But just as the people of the earth were washed away, the, the sin was washed away, the, the corruption was washed away, and the eight people got into a boat and were saved through that wrath, through that mess, the chaos of the waters, we, through baptism, get on the SS Jesus. We get on the boat that is Jesus. Jesus is the ark. And we're telling people, get on the ark, get on the ark. Do you see, the, you see the cycle here? Do you see the connection? And so Peter was making that connection um, here. We see, if, if I need to explain it, there's, there's other types in the Bible. Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Just as Adam introduced sin into the world, Jesus brings the salvific plan for the world. Just last week, 
What did we go through? What Resurrection Sunday, right? What, what was it called before Resurrection Sunday? Passover. Passover. Passover is a great example of a type that was fulfilled in the resurrection of our Savior. Just as you put the blood of, of the lamb over the doorposts, as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he puts the blood over your door, the doorposts of your heart. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. So you can now enter that courtroom, courtroom and stand confidently because Jesus is right there with you. The, the, don't worry, the accuser is going to be there. He's going to be there accusing you. But Jesus is right there and he's covered all our sins. I got ahead of myself because I got carried away. That's okay. <laughs> but in the first story, the spirits part, the spirits was at least a factor, right? We, we, we have the Genesis 6 through 8. Chapter 6 through th- chapter 8 is the flood account. But in 6-4, we get these, this just brief insert of these sons of God guys creating a giant problem for the world, meaning they, they took women as their wives and they had giants as their children. Some scholars would say that was a, a key factor in the flood narrative. Um, but at least it was a factor. And so Peter wants us to think about that and know that those guys are in prison. And it links back to the ultimately the, the promise of the Messiah. Now get this. In Genesis 3.15, Jesus is promised to us, Right? Yeah, that's the that's the prophetic. That's when God is speaking to the to the serpent and to woman. He says, "Your seed will be against your seed. It's the seed war, right? And your heel will crush his heel, his head, right? This is the the promise of the Messiah is what we get in in Genesis three fifteen. Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus knocked on the gates. Jesus entered the gates, and he made this proclamation. The Messiah himself fulfills that prophecy. It it's good. It's goodness. So let's continue on and find out what baptism is. Now that I've explained types to you, let's continue on and how baptism is related here and what Peter wants us to think of baptism as. Continue on the passage. It says, uh, now saves you as not a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So does baptism save us? Does baptism produce salvation? But it just says baptism saves you. To understand how to, to, how to speak to that, to speak to that argument, we have to look at the wording here. Peter uses some certain words, and he's very precise. Holy Spirit's so good to guide these guys to write the correct words so we can now enjoy this today and have right doctrine and right, right teaching so we can learn who God is and how we are saved. What is the, what is the, what is the widget that saves us? It's, it's, it's Jesus. It's faith in Jesus alone. It has nothing to do with works or anything we could do outside of our faith. And so to understand this, uh, two words here I want to I pull out and just investigate a little bit more. The first one's appeal. The word is aperotema. Aperotema. And this can mean a, a request or a pledge or an appeal. But often it was used as oath. It's an oath. And it has a, a hint. The word, you know, words have certain, we use different words for different uh, situations. Well, this one, this aperotema word, has a hint of an earnest desire to take that oath, which is really neat to me. Uh, it, it, you desire 
to take the oath. And so there, there's what parotema means. And Peter was very specific when choosing this wording. It's only found one time in, in the Old Testament, the Septuagint Old Testament, which was what Peter would have used. And that, and that word is used in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. And I just want to I, I pull out that passage and tell you that the word used there was a decree of the watchers, which is another, or the holy ones, which is another word for those sons of God guys, those guys that God created, right? The guys that we, uh, we can't see but might be amongst us right now. The guys that, we, that Hebrews tells us we might entertain, right? So this, this uh, maybe, just maybe, Peter was telling us, remember that passage in Daniel? I want you to read this passage with that in mind. So there's, there's an idea or there's a hint of this decree being made by the watchers. Peter would have used the Septuagint. He would have been familiar with it, which is the Greek translation of the Masoretic text or the, the Hebrew text, right? We all know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. But somewhere along the way, um, a guy named Alexander the Great wanted all the holy books of the world, so he, he commissioned the, the writing of the Septuagint. And that's a whole other story for another day, but this is what the Greek-speaking Jews would have been familiar with um, at the time. And so he uses that word from Daniel 4, 17. That's the point. So you can see why I considered that word. That makes sense, right? Now we're talking about baptism as an oath, as an oath that reflects back to a heart decision, an urgent appeal, if you will, an urgent appeal from me. I'm being baptized. It's an oath. But let's look at the second word because conscience, uh, I think we can use conscience in a different idea. What do you think of when you think of conscience? Who, th- who thinks of uh, Mr. Geppetto, right? Like <laughs> Pinocchio? No? The, the right or wrong voice in our head is, is what's most commonly thought of when we think of conscience. Well, it's not really what Peter was saying here. This, this word, soinodesis, it means attitude or decision. It means attitude or decision that reflects one's loyalty. So now let's put those two things together and let's think about this. What is baptism as it pertains to that, that, it, that it, as it pertains to baptism, it now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as a loyalty oath, a reflection of what has already taken place inside of you. I like that. I like thinking that when I get dunked in the water, I'm, I'm pledging to King Jesus, I'm going to be a loyal subject of him. That keeps me on, that gives me guardrails. No longer am I trying to build up the kingdom of Josh. That's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to br- build the Brimmer legacy and leave a, leave a name for myself here on this earth. I could care if anybody ever remembers me as long as they remember the name of Jesus. We're building up the kingdom of Jesus, people. Brothers and sisters, that is our goal. That is our task. That is the commission we've been given, and it hasn't changed for 2,000 years. And so when we are baptized, we are telling, we are commemorating that time when Jesus made the first proclamation to them. He says, you're defeated. Because you crucified me, now humanity, if they put faith in me, can be saved as well. And so it sealed their fate. We commemorate that time as we baptize. We're baptized to to death. We we death with the old things and to new life in Christ as we come out being a believing, loyal subject to King Jesus. Now there's probably more connections here, especially with the Daniel 4 passage that I could have made, but I I really wanted to focus in on the, the fact that this is a supernatural proclamation. 
a supernatural proclamation. It's the same, the, the word used, uh, this, this proclamation word in, in Daniel 4, it's the same one that Peter uses here. So it's a proclamation in, of supernatural effect. So you could see um, now that this is, this is most likely or definitely uh, a, a supernatural thing that he, Peter wants us to think about. But let's continue on in verse 22. It says, Who has gone into heaven, talking about Jesus. This is the guy who made the proclamation. This is the guy who, who made a way for our salvation. This is our Messiah, our Lord, our King, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Man, there's some application there. What? First off, that, that he is seated he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has won. The victory, we move from victory to victory. The battle has already been won. And if it wasn't clear he, it, before, Peter makes it very clear. I'm not just talking about what you can hear, hear, see, feel, and touch. I'm talking about the supernatural world. Eden was probably much different than our experience of life today. Remember, God used to walk in the cool of the morning with man. There was no separation between the, the spiritual and, and, and the, what we can feel. The supernatural and the natural. There was no separation there. God created us for communion with Him. But sin, but God. And so Jesus is remarrying those two things in His way, in His divine way. Now the enemy would have us try to do that in other ways. But Jesus is remarrying those two things. And so as we read the passage, it's baptism is a loyalty oath that, that affects the supernatural. And, and it commemorates what Jesus has done, and it's a reflection of what's already taken place in my life. It does not produce salvation in its own. In other places, in fact, Colossians 2 actually um, relates baptism to circumcision, which if you follow that down, there, there's a lot of circumcised Jews that did not go to heaven, that did not go into the eternity with the Father. They, they were apostate. They, we, we see that throughout Scripture. There was many Jews. So it wasn't circumcision that saved them. It was faith that saved them. And so we have to, if, because Paul tells us they're, they're synonymous, then we, can, we have to apply baptism in itself does not save. It's just a reflection of what's already taken place in our lives. Baptism is a pledge of one's loyalty, and it ties our fate to King Jesus. It ties our fate through faith, by grace. It ties us, our lives. We're getting on the boat, the ark, if you will. Just as they did in the days of Noah, we are getting on the boat of King Jesus. Baptism is spiritual warfare. It's a reflection of power of the crucifixion. It's a reflection of power over spiritual forces, and it is a supernatural proclamation. So, again, I, I forgot to tell you the title of the message, and you'll have to excuse me. <laughs> but the, the, the title of today's message is, Whose Side Are You On? Baptism. And so my question stands, whose side are you on? If you have yet to be baptized, if you've given your life to Jesus, then I would encourage you to do that. But I'm, I'm talking to those of you who maybe were baptized years ago, months ago. Maybe you weren't taught. That, that baptism is a, is a loyalty pledge. It's an oath of loyalty. When I joined the army, I raised my right hand and I, I pledged to, to defend uh, against all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? Right? 
It's the same kind of pledge. Do you, have you pledged to King Jesus that you will die to yourself and allow him to live through you so that others might get on the boat as well? Sacrificially living, that is the commission we're called to. And that is the point of today's message. I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope this doesn't discourage you. And I hope, let's say you have, you, you, this has touched you today. And God's speaking to you. You're like, wow, I want to walk in that truth. Maybe I need to get baptized again. You don't need to get baptized again. All you need to do is drop to your knees, where you are, seated right where you are, bow your head and say, God, I want to walk in that truth. I want to be a loyal subject to King Jesus today. I want, it to, I want to live, eat, and breathe. I want, when people squeeze me, I want them to get Jesus all over them. I want to be a loyal subject of King Jesus. Let me encourage you with that today. You don't have to be rebaptized. I was baptized as a little guy, ran away from God for many years. But in God's good grace. But God, right? He allowed that. And, and because of that, I can now speak into others' lives because of that time period in my life. But I don't need to get rebaptized. I've already walked through that. I've done that step. It's a, it's a physical act. It's an outward expression of what's already taken place in my life. I'm sold out for Jesus. Will you join me? Will you join me? Will you be a loyal king, loyal to the King Jesus? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.